You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. All right, folks. Welcome back to the Break It Down Podcast. Um, hope you guys are enjoying this spell of content, this role I'm on now. I've had some really good episodes. The Kevin Lyman one last week was awesome. People seem to love that, and I had a great time doing it. Uh, really kind of having fun doing these one-on-ones and actually getting time to to spend talking to people. I'm not not even sure that I'm good at it yet or anything like that, but I'm 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 laser beaming on the notion of it. I'm I think of how good I'll be at this in 10 years. I think it'll be, I'll be really good in 10 or 15 years at this. And I mean that seriously. It's just I I enjoy doing this just for the uh, learning and the skills part of it alone, not to mention getting to share stuff with you guys and and doing other stuff. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to do this kind of mini series on producers. I've got two or three, four really cool producers lined up to talk to who have done records that I really like a ton. And uh, so starting with this episode here, I've got Mark Trombino. I'm going to talk to him just in a few minutes. And Mark uh, recorded Jimmy, almost all of Jimmy World stuff, if not all of their stuff, including Clarity, which is one of my favorite records of all time. Uh, he, he recorded uh, Mineral, Starting Line, Finch, Blink-182, Mock Orange, Motion City Soundtrack, Silverstein, All Time Low. He's been doing this for a really long time. He was a drummer in a band called Drive Like Jehu. And Mark now is doing less producing, and he's doing a donut shop. He make, has a donut shop called Donut Friend in Los Angeles, where he lives. So quite interesting. Going to talk to him about uh, all, you know, all that stuff. Thank you for supporting this podcast, especially those of you who have been doing it on Amazon. That's really easy. It's a really uh, fair, simple way that you can support this podcast. It doesn't cost you anything. So all you got to do is go to my website, go to breakitdownpod.com, click the Amazon link there, and then bookmark it. And then anytime you buy anything on Amazon, without even thinking about it, without even knowing it, you'll be supporting this podcast. Uh, I now get checks every month for some dollars, and it really it really does help, and it really does motivate me, and makes me know that you care. And it doesn't cost you anything if you're an Amazon shopper. Uh, also, I'm very thankful for the people that choose to actually pay money, believe it or not, for this podcast that I do. Yes, it's free, but also you could choose to pay for it. And I would just suggest that if you do, you might even enjoy it a little bit more. Uh, so thank you for doing that. This, the money that I can make from this podcast, as it accumulates, I will continue to put towards uh, my daughter George's childcare. That's what I, that's the original idea I've had for this. And it still doesn't make enough money monthly to pay for a nanny or her preschool or anything like that. But if it does that, I'll let you know. And then I'll, then we'll make a new plan from that. But thank you to the people that do contribute to that. It, it does mean a lot. All right, here we go. Let's talk to Mark. Break it down, Dada. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down. Break it down, oh, break it down. Hey, hey, hey. Mark, how's it going, buddy? Hey, good. How are you? Where are you right now? It's an interesting looking background there. Way better than uh, most I, people's I'm, bedroom webcams. Yeah, I'm at home, actually. So, What is that, a basement? No, no, it's like a, it's just a... Sorry to poke around your house, but it's really... Oh, the ceiling's just amazing, though. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's like a loft. I live downtown LA. Oh, that's awesome. Where are you at right now? I'm in Seattle. Oh, okay. I'm in Seattle. I know it don't sound like it, which is what throws people off typically because I travel all the time, tell people I'm from Seattle all the time, and they just don't. They say, that's, <laughs> you didn't understand my question, I don't think, yeah. is what they say. But I'm from South Carolina originally. Yeah. Kind of thing. So, Are you I, in your studio right now? Or? No, I'm, I, I'm using a, a shared workspace uh, d- downtown in Seattle, which works great because I try to get out of the house. So I yeah. had to lug a little bit of equipment and, you know, get downtown. But I have a sm- it's, stuff's expensive in Seattle. I've got a real small house. I don't even have a spare room right now. So uh-huh. I can do this in the kitchen, but there's likely to be a kid or a wife or somebody go through at some point, and it's very distracting. So Yeah, okay. So I love to get out and come come down here to the shared workspace and, and do that. So cool. Do you do? Have you done much podcasting? Like done with other people? I've heard, I've seen you were on and heard listened to a little bit of that one of you did with Jonah Ray. I saw that was a while back, probably though. Yeah, that was that was a weird one. Um, I did one, I think one other like Skype one mm-hmm. um, that I think went really well. That was fun. Why was that weird with Jonah Ray? Because my mic was so odd. Like I was, I was sitting in a room with like six other people. Uh huh. Like this is fun. One on one is is so different than. Yeah. I'm just not good in groups, whatever. Really? <laughs> so I was like in a room with six people, six comedians, mm-hmm. you know, and I just was like so like nervous and scared. And plus, then my <laughs> my mic was like so much like quieter than everyone else's, and I just I don't know. It was just I, I didn't. It was fun because I love those guys, but I was just so scared the whole time. Well, I thought it was – it's interesting because comedians are supposed to be really good at making it go smoothly and making you comfortable. But I guess on the other yeah. end, it's intimidating kind of a thing. So intimidating. Just, yeah, like if it was just me and Jonah or just me and a couple guys, it would have been probably fine. But like, yeah, it was a, Weird. a lot of people there. Because yeah. the podcasters have all kind of different strategies for making it comfortable because for him, he's way more comfortable having his buddies or ha- yeah. hanging around and laughing. So he thinks that makes the show good. But from your point of view, you're better off to do a one-on-one. Yeah. Interesting. Are you like an introvert or extrovert or do you like media in general? Like how do you relate to that stuff? I'm an introvert mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. I don't I'm know if that like- relates. That's, I guess that's two questions. One is are you an introverted guy that or, or extrovert likes to talk? And then secondly, how do you personally – how traditionally have you ever always felt about doing media and interviews and stuff like that? Have you enjoyed it or you don't like it? Um, I, I do. I like conversations. I like talking mm-hmm. to people for sure. But, um, you know, rarely do I get, you know, like even in my time with Jer- Drive Like Jay, I was never the guy that people came to for mm-hmm. interviews or whatever. And if it was an interview, it'd be like all of us, you know, the four of us or whatever being interviewed by somebody. And then I just get sort of overshadowed by everyone, yeah. you know. Which is fine. I've, I've always been the guy in a group, like just quietly sitting there watching everybody else. You know, I'm not, I'm not a, in, the sh- in the spotlight kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Well, what know? about though, like just that through your producing career, even with people wanting to do press, inter- I mean, certainly people have for the local this or this small web zine or for Absolute Punk or things like that. Have, have, you, have people always wanted to interview you to that? And did you always say yes or do you don't see I, the point doing those things? I usually say yes if people ask. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times they're like email interviews, yeah, which are which are good and bad because I end up spending a lot of time on those. <laughs> I'm, I'm almost on a pretty strict no policy entirely with email interviews for that reason because yeah, if I say I'll talk to anybody on the phone, give them 15 minutes. I, I say yeah. yes, no matter what. But if I've got to get on there and type an email, then I have to make it excellent. Yeah. And, and yeah. even if the questions aren't good or I think nobody's ever going to see this thing, it's not casual for me to, to, 
put my words in type, then I have unlimited editorial control and I'll never, it's, yeah. it's, it's a, it will, yeah, it'd take me an hour to do something I should just fire off. So I'm the same way. Totally, yeah. totally get that. Uh, but I did, I looked at, I was looking around on it and I saw some good, some, there was some pretty good press on you over time, but um, ironically, it was a, a the easiest thing to find on you now is all the is your donut shop and all the stuff you're doing now, and some some really good journalism and a good good couple interviews out there about your about your donut shop and the stuff you're doing. That's good. That's what I want to hear. And uh, I want to <laughs> talk about that, but I'm going to go a little bit out of order here, just because uh, just because I that's just what I want to do. But I'm curious before we even talk about donuts, why. I want to know more about how you transitioned out of music and, and why. I'm sure a lot of people ask you that already, but I'd like to discuss it, you know, just a little bit. Like, uh, do you have a, a concise, you may be getting tired of, of that one, but do you have a concise answer or anything you like to talk about on specifically why you wanted to move out of music? Well, you know, in my mind, I never, it wasn't on a conscious decision to move out of music. Uh -huh. I just had an idea for this donut shop and I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't working, you know, like the music business has sort of consolidated and, and budgets have, have shrunk right. and, you know, uh, bands, you know, want to make these huge records on tiny budgets and it just became harder and harder yep. for me to make records, um, especially since I never, I never built my own studio. Mm -hmm. So um, I, it became like almost impossible for me to make like, records anymore. So I kind of needed to do something and I, I, I was just at this fork in the road where I could either like build a studio or I had yeah. been talking about this donut shop for like years and years and years. And I don't know, I just kind of decided, oh, I'm gonna try this thing, you know, try this new thing that I've been talking about forever. So I never consciously said, I'm never going to make records again, or I'm not going to, I'm leaving music. I just mm -hmm. wanted to try something new for a little bit. I thought I would do it for a little bit, and then it would get. To, I'd grow it to a place where I could kind of venture off and do other things, and that was kind of the plan. Well, that's interesting. That thing of, the, of what you say there—that's interesting to me, and and I think a lot of people is how budgets have shrunk, and you have the choice of should you even build or buy a studio, which also is not a good, really a good economic decision either to yeah. you know studios are i can't i mean there's that it's a bad business overall i mean i know there's the bet the top of the line ones will always be okay and everything but you know for a guy to build his own space especially where you are in la what you know to, to maintain and run that is a whole nother business on top of being a producer and it's not like you live in the middle of somewhere cheap where you could build a big shed studio or something yeah. like that either so it's it's, it's a tough thing and uh, it's it's weird that something like that from my point of view, could it's not force out because, of course, you could hang with it and do it and and all that. But it's it's interesting that that would put a squeeze on somebody that is a multi platinum producer. That's you know a, a, a you know I, I'm not trying to overblow it here, but a you are a really big deal as a producer, both to me and to tons of people in in the whole music scene. And it's interesting that there could be some simple economic forces with labels and stuff like that, that could make it hard to even compete or be comfortable for somebody at your level. I don't think people understand that about the music business. They think we're all rich. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, but definitely. And that's definitely not true. Um, yeah, it was, it, 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 when I, you know, started making records, I was like, you know, it was like super scrappy and just making records in a few days or whatever. Mm -hmm. And just over the course of time, the the time it took to make a record from like just a few days 
it became, you know, where, where I, I needed to spend so much time on these things and mm-hmm. the budgets just were not, you know, just not, uh, they didn't scale with the amount of time that we well, had to spend. It's one of the worst things when there's some, the, the thing that makes you, not you specifically, but makes a producer or something, or something doing, doing something like that is the fact that you want to, the reason you got good at it and are, are good is because you want to spend as much time as you needed to get it the way that you heard it. And then when the budgets shrink and get smaller and smaller and smaller, now you're trying to cut corners mm-hmm. on either time or sound or equipment or things like that. And it just, it's not, it's very unpleasant for, it's just not satisfying to, to have to think yeah. that way. And expectations have changed too, mm-hmm. you know, because the tools changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like when, when, when I started, it was all tape based and, you know, you didn't have the luxury of being able to really like dig in and edit drums or, mm-hmm. you know, tune vocals and all that kind of stuff that just is a time suck. Right. Um, and so when were you were on tape for until when? When did you switch out of tape? Um, I'm trying to think. The, I know that like um, Clarity actually was the first record I used Pro Tools on. Um, but I still was still recording the tape and then transferring into Pro Tools, mm-hmm. and I did that for a while. I don't know exactly where I abandoned tape, but like mm-hmm. there was a good chunk of time where I was like, kind of doing both and a being and and wanting to make the jump, but never feeling mm-hmm. quite comfortable doing it. Um, it probably it might have been like I think the first full Pro Tools record I did was probably like what it is to burn. Um, from Finch. Finch, yeah. Um, and that was 2002 or something like that. Yeah, that might have been... I know that was the first one that I did completely in the box, um, mixed it and everything. Um, and that, that might have been the first one. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. that's interesting. What are, the other, what are the other kind of stuff that, uh, that you're talking about there with the tools changing that, that were, that's a big deal? So you said that in a way that almost sounded... <laughs> It was on the it was on this negative side a little bit, like well the tools changed and this and that happened, and so you, is that are you saying that those types of things made the uh, the business model different? Or are you talking about the sound? Because we were talking about the economics a little bit, so now um, so um, how did that? I was re- the only negative thing was just the expectations right. around like the oh, tools. Yeah, that's right. That's I, what you were I've saying. never um, I love the tools. Like Pro Tools mm-hmm. was a dream come true for me. Like mm-hmm. I. To this day, still, like every time I get on Pro Tools, I'm reminded of of, of my time in. Uh, uh, I, I went to. Uh, uh, it wasn't really a music school, but I studied computer music in, in college mm-hmm. or whatever, and we we would have to like um, spend over, you know, like work all night on a mainframe computer, like computing like reverb and shit, yeah. and it was like crazy that that. The, how slow and, yeah. and, and everything was. And I would just imagine like one day we're going to have a computer, like a whole recording studio in our computers or whatever, you know. And Pro Tools is that. It, it you, was like, you could picture it coming the whole time and, yeah. and for it. Yeah. yeah, and when it came, I was just so appreciative of it because yeah. it was, it, it was it, it's so awesome mm-hmm. the, what you can do now in, on a laptop or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I, did, I did music technology in college in the late 90s too. I did some uh-huh. stuff like that and it was... You know, some mid, just general MIDI stuff, and yeah. it was so so technical just to do to have a terrible, yeah. you know, 
clarinet sound of something. It was unbelievable. And to see what it is really, really amazing. To, and then you could go home and record on your four track mixer. I wasn't doing any two inch tape because I wasn't yeah. in that world at the time, but I was just four track stuff. And then the very first digital recorders, but they were still like four track mixers, but that kind of yeah. thing. And general mm -hmm. MIDI to where it is today is very, very amazing. I, I similarly am reminded of like how amazing the stuff is. But yeah. the, the expectation change is a big deal because now I'm not putting words in your mouth, but you're saying now everybody expects these perfect drums and everything in time and then it, it changes the, the whole art form a little bit. Yeah. Does that, is that totally. less satisfying for you musically in that regard? Um, it, you know, the, 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 it really fed into my sort of perfectionist nature or whatever, mm -hmm. my tweaky, you know, I want everything to be perfect too. Um, and so when I first got my hands on this technology or whatever, I embraced it fully and went, you know, full, full on into it and tweaked the crap out of everything. Mega grid everything. Yeah. Yeah. At first, <laughs> yeah. like clarity, you know, being the first one where I was, where I actually did that, I had to like, um, I had to redo it actually. Like, like I, I went through and edited all the drums and got really super tight and everything. And then I had to like, at one point I had to step back and go, whoa, this is like, this isn't good. And I had to go mm -hmm. back and redo everything and kind of loosen everything up um, just because I just like was like using it like a sledgehammer or yeah. whatever. Um, so, I mean, I don't remember what your question was. Well, but I'm just saying that's that even clarity, I understand that part of it, but the, I remember hearing stuff getting better and better into where at some point I heard a record worth everything perfect and replaced. And I said, what, what, it, what is this? What does this even sound like? It, it, at some point you have that crossover moment where you go, this doesn't sound like anything a, a band is anymore. Yeah. But then it kept pushing through, and now it's just the expectations of modern recordings. And so now it's in this divergent place where modern recordings, a lot of them in that style, don't even sound like bands. Yeah. They, mm -hmm. they, they just don't. They don't even sound like what bands sound like. So you had this ability to say, oh, I can fix that kick drum to – we'll start by placing every kick drum exactly where we want it from the mm -hmm. get-go. And then we'll figure out well, who the band is or what they do and, and stuff. It, there's just a moment there for me, I remember thinking, this doesn't even sound like a band. And then later it's like, oh, this is what recordings sound like. So it kept yeah. on going and the expectations kept on going. And mm -hmm. so it, it made it where people like you who had all these skills to handle the drummer, handle the band, get the best performances, it made some, it made some of those skills a little more obsolete, don't you think? The, I, that real skill of a producer to work with the, the musicians becomes a little bit less. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, you don't need, I mean, I, I feel like my skill was actually, I was, I was pretty good at the whole tweaky part of it. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like that I was actually better at that than I was at getting good performances, yeah. to be perfectly honest. But even like, then you had these really, these really good set of skills that now plugins literally can automatedly do. Yeah, you know, you would t you would tab and to transient and paste. I imagine stuff like that, and now uh -huh. you just drop in the plugin and select the sample yeah. as they go. And the, you know. uh -huh. <laughs> so, it's, nonetheless, it takes a real even mechanical skill that you had and and <laughs> replaces it. Yeah, well, it it there was still even when you were like tabbing a transient and doing all the kinds mm -hmm. of there is there was still some judgment calls. I, absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, and that that's definitely lost in plugins. And so you. Didn't with the decision to not ever go to a studio or to to build something like that? Do you feel like you in, started enjoying the? Uh, did you you enjoy it less toward the later records you made versus you know in the late nineties and early two thousands? 
I'm trying to put my finger on what, what at what point does was is, like one of them. Go ahead. Sorry, I had a glitch oh, there on the sky. Uh, the the last record I made was probably one of the most fun records I ever mm-hmm. you know was involved with. So I don't think it got any less fun. No. Mm-hmm. Um, it just became harder to accept uh, to to take on new projects. That's all, mm-hmm. really. And so then, so the donut thing you had for in your donut shop's called Donut Friend, and you'd had that idea for for a long time. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I don't know how long before I actually made it happen. It was probably like four or five years or something. I'd been talking about it. That's real cool because so many, you know, everybody I know that's in one business or another, they they have the pet idea. Everybody yeah. goes, well, one day I would do this. Or I would have that. I want to open a taco truck. I'm going to do this or the other mm-hmm. thing. And then you did it. And it's got, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit uh, inspiring. And in a sense, I bet some people are disappointed that you would do that instead of the other thing. But to me, it's pretty inspiring to leap into another uh, territory when you have, you know, apparent mastery of, of the previous one. You know, because it's like all those hours, if you talked about the 10,000 hours or, or just mastery and real success, you've got platinum records and are known by, I mean, you're, you're in the top, who, I mean, if you wanted to really think about the percentage of successful producers, how many people out of people that record music have done albums over decades and have platinum records and are, are that, it's, it's way less than one, you're in the way fractional of 1% of achieved producers. And that's not even based on like opinion, that's just, you know, mm-hmm. success speaking. And still to go into a whole, a whole and to, to go into a whole nother um, industry is a very, a brave, a brave thing. And to me, a really inspiring kind of thing. I just, you know, it just sounded fun. It sounded yeah. exciting and new and, and um, you know, not that, you know, I don't feel like I, I, I ever nailed making records or whatever. Mm-hmm. I feel like I, you know, knew everything because I de- definitely didn't. And there's always new stuff to learn. Sure. But, you know, it was the idea of just picking up something I I knew nothing about, which was baking and You bread. were a, 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 just a donut fan at least? You at least love donuts, I would imagine. I mean, everybody does. You know. <laughs> yeah, I think you're but, right. No, I mean, I wasn't like, I was just um, saying the other night, like, actually... I really love ice cream. Like uh-huh. if I was going to have a passion about something, it'd mm-hmm. be ice cream, not, not donuts, you know? But I mean, I love donuts. Um, it was just the idea uh-huh. um, that I had that, that I, I, it, was, it was something that I didn't want to see anybody else do. And the thought of, of me having this idea and someone else coming along later on and doing it would have, you know, killed me or whatever. So I just, I wanted, I needed to make it happen. So it's inspired. And, and what would you call the, uh, heck genre is not the right word, but what is the market or type of donuts? I, I want to say it's, it's boutique or it's, 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 uh, in the vein of, uh, top pot in Seattle or voodoo in Portland or mighty O something, stuff like that. Like, what do you call that? Not Krispy Kreme or Dunkin' Donuts. It's not, it's different than that. I, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it, we're definitely, you know, we use better ingredients and 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 we mm-hmm. do everything from scratch. So we're not like the, a typical corner donut shop. But I never think of us like, you know, like fancy gourmet donuts. Right. Well, um, I mean, I, there's something. I'm not trying to force, a, you know, an analogy here, but it's like it's artisan. It's more like, or, or it's independent, or it's uh, it's it's almost like an indie donut. I mean, it's a it's a yeah. boutique. There's something about it that's more like you know, it's a like a I don't know better parallels to make, but it's like a boutique amp shop versus Marshall. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, and you do you do special things lo- local like you, you your the names of the donuts are very niche. They're they're hilarious by the way. <laughs> um I'll, I'll tell you a couple of the donuts if people don't know what they do, but they're all a lot of them are music inspired names or maybe all of them are, but um of and bands you've worked with and especially there's Bacon 182, um Cinnamineral is my favorite one of their Custard Front Drive, Jets to Basil, and uh the best one of all to me is Fritter Seems Forever. That, yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, a hilarious name, but it's uh, it's you know, it's still something about this that you can tell that you put the care and time into the making of the donuts and the ingredients and stuff like that. How do you find or uh, what part of it is discovery and and testing ingredients and stuff like that versus just ordering shit out of a catalog? That um, I the whole testing and discovery part happened. Early on, uh-huh. um, or actually, we're still doing it. You know, we're still trying to okay, introduce come up new with things. New donut, yeah. New donut or new new things like um, uh, we just we're going to start doing more more ice cream type things or whatever. So um, I'm getting gearing up to start doing some recipe testing with ice cream and stuff. So it's still happening. I, I and that's the part I really love. I love the sort of nerdy um, uh, process of like you know, methodically going through ingredients and mm-hmm. recipes and changing little things and testing and tweaking and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's fun to me. What is, what is the cinnamon roll donut? What is that one? That's, it's a really like a classic, like cinnamon crumb donut. You know, it, a lot of our donuts are like things that, you know, you'd find anywhere, but mm-hmm. we just call it. My, mine's favorite is real simple, but my favorite donut is a fluffy uh, kind that's covered with cinnamon and sugar. Just a, a ring, cinnamon sugar ring. That's my favorite donut. What is that? What's the difference in that and the crumble one you're saying? And I've got a, I've got a glitch here. Can you hear me? Oh, now I do. Okay. Yeah. Did you hear what I said? Uh, you started talking about your favorite. Donut. I said my favorite donut is a uh, cinnamon ring, just cinnamon sugar on a fluffy donut. Uh-huh. Is that that's not okay. the same thing you're saying with the crumble, cinnamon crumble? Is that like a old fashioned donut? It's close, like so. It's like a just a regular cake donut, vanilla cake donut with this vanilla glaze, and then we we take our like day old cake and chocolate cake donuts, mm-hmm. and we sort of bake it with cinnamon and sugar added, oh, you know, added man. in there, and then it just sort of makes this like crumble topping or whatever, and we put that on top. Oh, that sounds so good. And it's in where are you in Highland Park in LA? Is that what? It, yeah, yeah. It's like a neighborhood of Los Angeles. Oh, uh, is it close to downtown? How how can I find that next time I'm there? I was just there. I wish I would have thought about it. Oh man, you should have come by. It's like twenty minutes north of downtown. Twenty minutes north of downtown. Yeah, fifteen. So is, like, is it an easy stop when we're coming, you know, over the grapevine to, on our way to Hollywood next time? For yeah, instance. it's not. It's not that far out of the way. Like if you're cruising down the five, it's it's a quick jump mm-hmm. down, you know, north a little bit. But yeah, it's easy. Well, we'll make sure to do it. The um is how is the business of donuts? Is it a, a lot more? Uh, <sighs> viable than than the music like as far as not as a dying or shrinking kind of thing is it feel like it's a good a good thing going forward going up stable well i don't i wouldn't say it's stable i you know because i feel like right now donuts have are having a moment or mm-hmm. whatever so i feel yeah. like it's it's gonna uh it's gonna pass we're we're doing pretty well right now but the you know, great like, donut bubble of 2016 yeah yeah it's, like, <laughs> it's the fad whatever you know it's like emo of its yeah. day or whatever you know like it's now it's donuts um and so I, you know, I don't know how it's going to last. I don't know how long it's going to last. I don't know what it's going to be like when the bubble pops, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, it's been it's been great. 
That's good. And you and everything is vegan. That's the last technical question I have about donuts. But it's all vegan. Yeah. And so, what is the main ingredient you have to avoid to make it vegan? There. Uh, milk and, and uh, eggs. Oh, I see. Eggs is probably in a lot of the batters otherwise. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Flour. Okay, so what uh, what do you use for egg substitute that, that works the same way? Well, we, we use like a, you know, this like Bob's Red Mill egg replacer or whatever. And mm-hmm. it just, uh, uh, it just helps. And like really, you know, when you think about it, bread, mm-hmm. French bread is flour, water, yeast, you know, right. sugar, a little bit, maybe some salt, whatever. It's like, like five ingredients, whatever. Mm-hmm. Vegan. Right. And, and no one would be like, you know, uh, you know, French bread's vegan. You, right, gross, right. you know. Yeah, it but doesn't have to be. Isn't doesn't it, have, yeah. Bread doesn't have to be, you don't have to use dairy in bread for it to be awesome. So, and you know. It's fried in oil, which is it's not. It's fried in oil, you know, yeah. So. What so, oil do you fry in? A soy. Soil. Actually, it's, it's, that's the hard thing for us to avoid is soy because um, we have like soy stuff in everything. We use like a little bit of soy milk instead of milk, you know. Oh, we use, yeah, the, the, there's soy in our like in the egg replacer. It's like everywhere. We fry in soy. Interesting. That's all, that's all really cool stuff. So, and you had the shop going how long now? Um, two, uh, God, two and a half years. And you put in time, uh, what, what, is you, what do you do like daily there? What's your day look like at the at the shop? Well, now I've got people where I don't. I, I used to be the the baker. I would make all the donuts and mm-hmm. everything. Um, now I have people bakers that do that for me. Um, now I'm just sort of like, you know, I'm trying to work on a second location, so I spend awesome. a lot of time working on that, doing that kind of stuff. So you enjoy the business development part of it too, as well as the donuts. I never wanted to own a donut shop. Uh-huh. Like what I wanted to do was build a brand and like okay. kind of grow something. But like the actual day-to-day of a donut shop is not, that's not what I wanted. Sure. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of having more fun focusing on the, the stuff that's not like donut shop. And really. so if you're totally successful and continue to have more and more success here, will it be continue up in this industry or do you think you, you know, might have a whole nother pet a whole nother career and a whole nother place down the road. This will probably be it, I think. I don't know. I think you get That's one. cool to hear. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see where it takes me, you know. And I've been playing shows again, so like music is still has come back. So good, I'm good. playing drums and, and having a lot of fun doing that. <coughs> um, and I was actually talking to some bands about doing records again. Oh, excellent. So. I'm glad to hear that. I'm sure everybody would be glad to hear that. And so I told you I'd go a little bit out of order here, and you brought up clarity and that stuff a minute ago, and I moved right past it, but don't worry. That's because I wanted to come back to it and have time to okay. talk about it while we were still doing that. So everybody, don't worry. We're going to talk about some some bands and some recordings and some music uh, now. Now, the, the, ba- the, early, the band in there that um, is huge to me, so... Uh, our band Emery is is hugely influenced by several records that you did. One of them being Mineral, the In Serenading. That record is uh, one of the very first things I ever heard that was independent um, or indie or not. Like I, I grew up in a small town and we didn't know there's anything other than Kid Rock and Corn and Deftones was like the weirdest thing I knew of. And just because it made it onto TV or radio, I didn't even know this indie music existed until I was in college and had a buddy that played that played for us. Uh, you know. Clarity and mineral and stuff like that. So that is uh, tremendous. You did just that one mineral 
record. I mean, I guess they didn't really even do it much more after that. But do you recall that that recording and and doing that? Do you, have, you recall I, that time very much? Um, yeah. Uh huh. My memory is pretty spotty, but I do yeah. remember making the mineral record. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, and you when you mentioned the tools, I think that's an interesting part. I'm going to try and play a couple of clips, and we'll see if it comes over Skype and, and how this works. Okay. But I'm going to try and, and hopefully if the level's too loud or something or quiet, let me know. I'm going to play a couple of clips to give reference to the listener, and we can discuss some of the stuff there. But in the um, – you you mentioned the tools changing and stuff like this, and I don't remember what this would have been 90 – it would have been late 90s still mineral. So I imagine that was not in the computer or anything like that. Yeah, I think this was pro- all tape, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so I'm going to try and play just a clip so people can hear what is the first track on in Serenading. Can you hear that? Mm-hmm. Okay. What does that bring back for you? Anything? Um, yeah, I, I actually it put me back into the studio. Really, like sitting in the control room listening to that. Yeah, the um, I mean, clearly it's just such a loose, raw thing, and obviously the the, the stick out thing, and not you can't tell just from one clip. If you listen to that music in that time. I thought think it's so cool and so powerful, but yet so out of tune vocally. Oh yeah. How how does that? Uh, I mean, how does that? How did that transition from that time to a couple of records later, and everything could be just perfectly in tune? Is that just a matter of the tools, or is that a matter of that band or that style to you? Well, probably both. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, um, uh, the vocals on on the mineral record were, were very. I wouldn't say improvised, but but kind of like mm-hmm. um, I feel like there was more like poetry that was just kind of melodically sung or whatever, mm-hmm. and, um, and it was more about yeah the words and the emotions or whatever, and, and less about the, uh, tuning. <laughs> so, but when you were producing that at that time as a tweaky person, like you described, what were you? trying to to get, like were you were aware of it with your ear and thought this is cool or what, did you wish that you could get it better would you have tuned it if you could I think if I had the tools at that time there would have definitely been an impulse to mm-hmm. to to try and tune them and it it probably would I would have gotten a lot of pushback from the band they wouldn't have wanted it. it they wouldn't have wanted That's it super yeah cool. um I, I mean at the time it was great you know, I I didn't have that impulse as much because, I mean, I I could recognize that they're out of tune, obviously, but uh-huh. like, um, you know, it wasn't an option to do anything about it. We just had to keep, just it, it was either recorded again or you know, like, oh yeah, it's it's you know. So move what, on. so what when without the tools when you're doing the tape and the earlier recordings and stuff like that, what are you focused on? What can you tweak? What were you concerned with at, at the time? Like, what was in your head that you were really trying to nail then? That you um, thought you were really getting somewhere with. For me, back then, I was looking for the sort of like it's kind of the opposite, I guess, of 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 now. Maybe I don't know. Like I like now, maybe you're you're focusing trying to get things more in tune, and you're looking for perfect performances, closer to perfection, and whatever. Mm-hmm. 
back then I was actually focused on the fuck ups and the mistakes and like, you know, like the cool things that, um, you couldn't really replicate, you know, the accidents, you know, those kinds of things. And if, if we got a lot of those cool, like moments, that was an awesome take kind of thing. I'm going to give another uh, mineral clip while we're here. Mm -hmm. This one's full with all the band and drums and everything. Um, I really am thankful for the lack of tool. I mean, I, I, I really appreciate how it turned out. It was really formative for, for me and for us and the things that I've done. And yet, nonetheless, my impulses fix everything still. Even though this yeah. was the first stuff that I was blown away by, my impulse still is, well, you gotta, we got to fix it. i got to clean it up. Well, we got to sing that again, and I'm going to tune it, you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. It's really seductive. Yeah. You know, it's, it's very... Um, it's easy to be drawn into that. And if you, you know, like not having the ability, I mean, I think that's when, it, I don't know if you've ever gotten into the, these heated arguments about tape versus Pro Tools or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I've always maintained that like, it's not about the technical differences between the two, like the sonic differences between the two things. I've always thought it was the lack of options. It's the process. Tape. Yeah. Yeah. That made the difference. It yeah. had nothing to do with tape itself other than you couldn't, it was so much harder to go. You could still do all those things. Like when I first started um, recording and going like, you know, I started in a, in a, in a small studio, but at some point I, I started going to bigger studios and I would see how like these massive records were made. And even with tape people back then, and I never was able to do this. So I didn't have the budgets back then even to do this, but like People were still editing drums on tape. Yeah, cutting them with a razor blade. Yeah, or still tuning vocals, you know, by, you know, like playing vocals into a sampler and speeding them and slowing them down or whatever. Um, but it was, it took so long. And you yeah. have, like, I remember walking into Sound City for the first time and seeing the assistant engineer sitting there with a measuring tape w- w- that represented, like, the space between a, you know, like a, kick and a snare was yeah. supposed to be or whatever and they would mm-hmm. measure it and then if it was off by a little bit they would you know splice the tape yeah it's math and bpm and charts like delay charts and everything crazy. so you know what the quarter note how many milliseconds yeah. or inches of tape uh, you know exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah it was insane so like but you know like when, when i was making mineral i i couldn't do that um yeah. and i think that's why it i think that's why it was what it was you know yeah, it's super raw. And I, you know, I think uh, I don't know if you're that way sonically entirely, but I, I I feel the same way. But I thought it was interesting, even on Donut Friends frequently asked questions. It says there, how, what does your donuts mean from? How's this work? What does this, you know, where, what what are your hours? And then the last one says, how did you get that set, that guitar sound on Clarity? Oh yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then you, you say it's a I don't remember what it is, fifty seven and a four twenty one through ten seventy three, yeah. whatever. Some technical answer like that. And I I I don't I'm curious how you meant that. Is that like, yeah, it's just this technical thing. Who cares? Or it's like, are you really into that part of recording? No, I'm not. I'm not into like the technical part of it, mm-hmm. really. Like, I've I collected some gear, you know. I, I I liked I liked having things that I was comfortable with or whatever. But like, I was never <clears throat> super nerdy when it came mm-hmm. to like, you know, get, having the best gear or like, you know, like I don't know. Like, I'd always just walk into a studio, and yeah. the equipment that was there usually was what I ended up using, and you just did the best I could with right. what I had. But you don't, like, for instance, I, you don't read, or I didn't read from that, that 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 is what you do to make guitars awesome. 
I mean, that, that was usually my go-to thing. You yeah. know, the two mics and, and a 1073 or some, some sort of mic or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I always used a 57 and a 421. Yeah. That was, I wouldn't say that's how I, it makes things awesome. That's just what I did. Yeah. But, yeah, that's interesting. But, uh, but you're still more about the process than the specific sonics of the... I'm more about, like, when it comes to guitar sounds, really the answer should be, uh, how do you get that guitar? You, you start with a great amp. That's, yeah. that's the, 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 the real answer. It's like, it doesn't matter what mm-hmm. mic you use. I mean, it does, I guess. But, you know, if you've got a great amp and a great player... Of course, yeah. You know, then the Sonics take care of themselves. The first time I was in the studio, the producer told me, or I'm saying, tone this, tone this. He said, well, tone comes from, he says, tone comes from your hands. Yeah. I was like, that, no. I was so frustrated when it, that they said that because <laughs> I'm trying to work with the treble and gain here. Can you please help me? And yeah. You know, and that's what his response was. And uh, he's definitely right. It took me a long time to, to even think, think that way and shift that way, but certainly, certainly it's true. Oh, yeah. The, yeah, the same, know. the same player on the same equipment, or two two different players on the same equipment, such a different sound. Yeah, I had another moment like that. And I was, I was, we were doing a show with From Autumn to Ashes one time, and somewhere in New York, something. And I walked in the room, and I thought this is the best guitar sound I've ever heard. And it was, I was like, that guy Brian is so good. And I was like, hey, I, <laughs> I need to go see your amp and show me what you do. I've got to check this out. And he had a Les Paul plugged into a Mesa, and every knob was exactly straight up. <laughs> and there was nothing else there. I was like, oh. I was like, okay. <laughs> and yeah. now, I never forgot that. I don't think I, I stopped caring about gear shortly after almost in, in response to that, how much I realized that it was just what he does, just the way he plays the chords. The, I don't know. I mean, it's, it definitely comes from his hands for sure. Everybody wants their the easy button. You know, yeah. so they could just push that button and it's going to sound rad or whatever. But it, it, you're right. It's the hands. It's the, it's the person. Okay, so then you so you go from mineral, and then shortly after that, you are on Pro Tools, and you're doing Clarity. And Clarity is, I don't know. I mean, it might be one of the most important. I don't know how to say what came after it, because I know people have been influenced by it from every kind of genre, but at least for defining, you know, to me what emo was and is was like that mineral and Sunday real estate, and then Jimmy World Clarity was pretty much this peak, this kind of thing and, and then maybe it was a kickoff point for other people but to me it's like a, a jewel in the crown of of what a, a like fine like the epitome of what what people were trying to do and stuff at at the time and i admit fully that could just be I, no I'm, i can't it's not just me i was gonna say it could just be my opinion or my time when i entered that world and discovered music in that way or started being creative i, I don't think it's that i do think that actually is a landmark record and I won't make you agree with me if you don't want to, but <laughs> I, I really do feel that way, and I'm sure objectively that's true in some sense. Um, and uh, I know, you know, it's interesting because that one does have a lot of really clean or perfect stuff on. It. Like with the uh, one of the the most legendary things that come out of that is the just the drum loop on Lucky Denver Mint. Mm-hmm. So, and I'll play that. And so. Uh, the, the song starts that way, and then at the end, it fades out with that. So it must be important enough, and you must have known that this is something special enough to start the song and then have another minute at the end of the track with this on a catchy song. But let, let's just talk about this drum loop. Okay. <laughs> what, well, drum what can you tell actually, me about it? It, 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 it was... Some, it's still going? Yeah. Um, you can ignore it. I'll fade it out. 
It was uh, the drum loop came like Jim did the demo, and that was in the demo. His his drum loop. He mm-hmm. he came up with that. I played with it at the end. So at the end was like me messing around with it or whatever. Yeah. Um, just the, trying to figure the, out how to the actual sound from his demo was imported into the song, or you just re- that, or you just saying the part was written, uh, the 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 beat w- existed. Yeah, the, that whole loop. We re- redid the loop or whatever for the for the record, but yeah, it's like that idea was the thread that went through the whole song through the demo. And so the very even at the very beginning of that is that edited sequence or is that just a processing of room mics and whatever of of Zach playing? Um, it is. How did I record that? I think that was like a separate, a whole separate setup. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, just like a mic, a single mic or something, or maybe a, a stereo mic or something. I'm I'm not sure. I actually don't remember. Well, and then the stuff you did at the end is still really important because it represents this time, this new time in recording when these things were possible. You know, yeah. like you were using computers and you could do stuff, and it inspired a generation of. Uh, I'm telling you, it inspired a generation of people that thought it would be cool to have this garage rock band go to the next level where you could have loops or programming and samplers. So there's a lot of technology that was coming along the way, but how to use it, um, this being very important, I mean, is one of the earlier things there. And you you hear that fingerprint just all over the place. So I, th- I think that's one of the really... Um, one. I've got two a few things here just from this record that I hear constantly in bands... 10 and 15 years later that I'm going, oh, yeah. And, and we all know this is just our shared background and this is where we got mm-hmm. these ideas. You know, I, I hear, uh, and, and I'm not meaning that bad way. We copy it. I could tell you a bunch. I'm not saying other bands are bad that, that did take these ideas. I think it's great and it's part of like our shared heritage. But another one is the, uh, and I want to know where you got this from or how the, you got this experience. It may have existed before, but the thing where you do, Muted guitar rake, string rakes with the snare drum, so I'll play and like uh, I'll play that, but like going into this chorus here out of the bridge, for instance. Oh yeah. So that that is just like incredibly common and done, and I feel like most people in in the worlds that I go in, that's where they got it from. Exactly that. Do you have any? Does that even stick out in your mind as a thing, or ever thought about that? No, and I know that I got it from someone else. I yeah. mean, it, that was just something that... Do you people, think it was you, though, versus the band? That's another good question. Um, I think that... I mean, that, like... Yeah, that with kind the of thing is just a... It's almost a cliche in a way, you know? Like, it's just a cliche kind of, like, thing that rock bands do, you know? I, uh, I'm not aware of it uh, in earlier earlier than 2000 being common is what I'm saying, and really? I'm not. I'm sure you heard it somewhere, or whatever. But that instance of it happens in that song more than once is, I think, the shared reference for most people that do it now. I think that's hmm. one of the largest uh, examples of it. it's really. I mean, it's really aggressive. You know, it takes out yeah. the tonality, and everybody gets together, and it, it it represents that era where you can get stuff tight you know it's just an expression yeah. of tightness or something like that but that's a, i think that's a really powerful but you don't you don't even recall that or think much about it i don't think we thought too much about i think if we thought anything about it it was like that it might be kind of cheesy or something you yeah. know like we're worried about maybe just being kind of doing something <laughs> bad if that's uh, the case can you imagine how cheesy and criticizable <laughs> and cliche it is of th- those of us who are doing it 15 years later <laughs> That's yeah. funny. So you you don't think that you you don't recognize what I am recognizing as like a important moments 
as it, you, you know, they don't even stand out to you in that way. I think that's interesting. I think there's super, I mean, is there anything about the, that, the clarity record that you think was important from your point of view? Um, well, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm not hearing it the same way. Like when I certainly not, yeah. Like, um, I, it's interesting to hear you point out certain things like right. like that. Like that. That's interesting to even for me to even think that that might be yeah. a moment. But I mean, you, know? you understand that it's an important record, and people think that. And so now yeah. we have to do a little bit of the work of well, what to, what is it? So I'm, yeah. I, I know we would have completely different points of view on it, but that's what the point yeah. of this podcast is. From your point of view, knowing that clarity is important, I want you to tell me why. From your point of view. Like right now? Yeah. 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 I'm just curious. Like, is there something on it that you think is amazing or awesome? Or, or, and maybe I'm just wrong or these are just my things, but I think clarity is an important record. It's almost objectively true. Mark Trombino, what is important about clarity? <laughs> Whether technical or not. Technical would be cool, but I mean, in, in, any, in any sense, why do you think that record is special? I don't, I, I, I don't mean to evade the question or whatever, right. but I do not have an answer for you. Like, to <laughs> me, it was, it was, a record I made back at mm -hmm. that time. You know, for me personally, I can tell you why personally it was special for me. Um, and that was because of the transition te technology-wise. Uh -huh. It was the first Pro Tools record that I, that I, I you know, the first record I used Pro Tools on. So for me personally, I was seeing kind of what I could do with this stuff, you yeah. know, and so experimenting with loops and cutting things up and, you know, having more bringing I was able to bring more of myself mm -hmm. into the record which I hadn't been able to do before like you know when I was doing mineral um, I'm you know just coaching and and guiding or whatever but like there's no there, there's not my thumb mm -hmm. well I guess it is my thumb pits on there but like this one I was actually actively participating in the yeah, pro, like absolutely. in the, in, in the yeah. record you well, know? see that's not an evasive answer whatsoever that's a tremendous answer and it's just similar to what I'm, I'm saying in a different way but the fact that you could take a band like that a real raw indie uh, band and then also add these new elements of programming technology and timing and clean that really did kick off a, a new era i mean i know it was based on the the technology but also the technology gave you a talented person like you the ability to directly contribute creatively with yeah. the band, and I think that's a, a really big deal. I think that record made by somebody else is not not the same thing. I really also like the. Uh, I've also got a, a couple other things in there that stand out to me that maybe are less of a big deal to everybody else, but the emptiness at, kind of in here and the clean guitar on this first track. First of all, the first track being this one, I'm sure that's a band decision, but a not heavy or not aggressive track, an empty, pretty, almost fruity track is really a, a great decision in my opinion yeah. and the emptiness of it and this really sparkly clean I'd love to ask you if you remember anything about recording that clean guitar but that's kind of a, a kind of a big deal to me and then the last thing will be the uh, I'm gonna say extra loud prominent harmonies but we'll get back to that one okay what, what do you think about that uh, that type of clean guitar there I don't remember recording the guitar yeah, I'm, that's nice. um I do remember early on we were thinking this was going to be the first song. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know how much of that is in effect now. I don't know how much song order matters anymore. I, I'm not sure. But like back then, because we were thinking about everything being on an LP, yep. you know, there was like 
ways to divide the record that, that we thought about constantly through the process. And so this was the opening song. We knew what song was going to end the first side, start the second side, mm-hmm. end the, the second side. You know, like we had that already kind of mapped out really early on. Um, so, but I, yeah, I don't remember that clean guitar part. <laughs> and the, the, you know, and the other, well, it's, it's, a, it's brave that just to do it that way, which is inspiring. But the harmony thing is, uh, in this genre and this style and at that time and on that recording and on that song, there's la- the harmonies became louder and louder. And Jimmy World's another band that ha- had a really early band that had two prominent vocalists. And so it feels to me like, and I'm interjecting there, uh, not interjecting, I'm uh, inferring, what's the word there? I'm projecting is what I'm doing. That it, is that born out of the fact that you have two guys that are good singers that, that why not just have extra singing? So instead of thinking of this really backgroundy harmony, you think sometimes two singers. Was that, is it is a strength or a co, it's not a co-lead singer, even though that he, what's the second singer's name? It's Tom. Tom, like, so he sang on some records, lead, lead yeah. vocals instead of Jim. Yeah. So when you have two guys like that, does that make that, is that part of the birth of these, I'm identifying as harmonies being a lot louder and prominent as parts in the arrangements at this point in music? I'm not sure because so much of the harmonies is just Jim doing Mm -hmm. it himself. True. But nonetheless, Um, it's still really prominent harmonies, you'd agree. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Like that's not tucked away like, mainstream music's harmonies kind of thing. It's like, oh, I hear this other really dry, clear voice doing this other thing that's a part. It's an arrangement. I don't know if it's, if it maybe was, because I don't know why, but like when I, when I'm singing along to records, it's nine times out of 10, the harmony part that I'm singing uh-huh. along to. So maybe that's just, I like harmonies uh-huh. or something. And, and maybe I mix them louder because that's kind of what I, right. I like or something. It just could be a weird tweak in my brain. Oh, I'm sure it's your preference, but I'm sure you weren't calculated in doing it in that way. But I'm just identifying that I think that sets the stage for, gets the ball rolling uh, on a pivotal record like this. I think that largely contributes to uh, bands that with the two with two lead singers and extra vocal parts and really aggressive vocals and you know from brand new Taking Back Sunday you know these these successors and, and certainly Emory and a bunch of other bands that are saying more of that mm-hmm. I think it sets the stage for bands to go okay two singers more singers louder vocal, yeah. louder harmonies more arranged harmonies that are different you know all that uh-huh. kind of stuff I, that, that's an expression I think that also came out of that regular you didn't invent harmonies or in you know. It's not like, you know, yeah. mixing them louder is a, is a taste choice in that case, but an imp- important one is what I'm pointing out. Uh-huh. And just curious what your take was or thought on it. Other than what I said. It's just the way you hear it. Do you, always, yeah. do, do you think you always are a, a loud harmony guy? Is that you think that's just across the board when you're mixing? I mean, honestly, I never thought that they were loud until you're saying it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, prominent. I, mean, I don't know. Maybe not prominent. loud. I'm not saying it's a mixing error. It's a prominent, uh, though. Featured. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I just thought that's just, yeah, I didn't, I never actually thought about it, that's, which is, it's weird. I, I should have thought about it, but yeah. I, I, well, I, I don't mean to be making thought, you uncomfortable. I, I'm just huh, curious, you know, no. just looking for your take on, on some of those things. Uh, I was listening to the second track on here that's people. Oops, let's see. I was listening to the second track on here, um, which I don't even remember the title of, but such a cool one. I, this one is a an, a, an often copied kind of, 
thing. I, I'm not sure if all our listeners are even familiar with it, so I'm just giving a little bit more background on, on, on this work. But this aggressive palm muting and drums and noisy stuff, it really, this really sounds like an Under Oath song, a specific one, to tell you the truth. But again, not accusing them of copying or anything, but this style is just so pervasive in the, come, in the, in the decade that follows. And I think this song's influence. I can hear this in a bunch of, a bunch of songs. Loud. Don't you think those harmonies are prominent? You at least agree, <laughs> right? Yeah, I agree. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this it almost feels trade-offy vocals, prominent. I don't know. Re- really, that was, really interesting. That was definitely a trade-off because, like, that yep. was Tom in there. Going That's right. back Going back and forth. Yeah, so I, I think that that was a, a super big one, and uh, yeah, I think those are the things about it. But uh, t- to me, I trace emo from that way, mineral to, to Jimmy World, and then it, it just keeps on going. It's like, uh, and then eventually, you did the Motion City record. The there's I mixed one? some songs. Mix on that. that one, yeah. yeah that yeah. one is a, is another one that's just. I mean, it's weird because I think. Do you think the bands that? Do you notice this effect when you had success that the bands that you would wind up recording were bands that were just big fans of the other stuff. Therefore, you know, uh-huh. fe- uh, there's a little bit of a feedback loop of, yeah. of Motion City Soundtrack starting a song this way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's a really a lot like, uh, it, you know, it reminds, it's one of their biggest songs and it it harkens back to Lucky Denver yeah. Mint in that sense that it starts with the loop uh, kind of thing like that. Is that... Uh, but that's why they probably wanted to have Mark Trombino mix it and say mix it like that clarity. You know, is it like do you do you find yeah. that feedback loop to be a good thing or a bad thing? Like people want you to just keep doing the same stuff that you've done. I mean, it's both naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great. It's great that people want you to. You know, they want to work with you. Mm-hmm. That's good. But yeah, you're right. It it is like people wanting to recreate the same things over and over. Like, you know, it became everybody wanted. Clarity, you know. That, that, um, is that it, though? For that's what they're always wanting when they come. Clarity that, was the one, yeah. Okay, definitely. Out of all the records I'd made, Clarity is the one that people are like, "We want that." Like, hmm, <clears throat> like we're working on. You have an idea, and they're thinking, "Hmm, Mark, could we make it a little more like Clarity?" <laughs> well, what what did we do? What you do on Clarity? Maybe we could do that here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would definitely get some of that. <laughs> and so you wanted to push away from that or do things different? Yeah. I want to. I want to keep evolving and keep growing and doing new things and you know being constantly kind of like you know no can we do you know do this this old thing like always kind of bothered me. Did 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 as the genre of emo and these bands keep getting they feel younger and younger and I think emo ends sometime around that and then uh, then it becomes dashboard and it's this and eventually it's like bands like All Time Low. That, that you did a record of theirs, and that's like, is that an emo band? And to me, no, it just isn't. But I, I'm curious, do you do you have a definitions of of that genre, or how do you find the the work that's der- derivative from it, or trace that progression? Do you think that's the same? I agree with you. Like, I, like I feel like even even calling Jimmy World an emo band is is kind mm-hmm. of a stretch. To me, emo starts with like I think of Rites of Spring. Yeah, and. Mid nineties, although is where it is for you, where it's like super aggressive music, uh-huh. not melodic, pretty, you know, pop, you know, poppy stuff, yeah. but like aggressive music with like super, you know, emotional lyrics or whatever, like talking about, you know, like not talking about politics or like, you know, like super big important issues, but talking about personal issues and yeah. stuff, and that's that's what I think of, of as emo. 
So like when I always like was like, Jimmy World emo? I no, right, I don't yeah. think so. Or all these bands, but well, it's just it just depends on where you. I mean, I, I don't like that either, but it seems to be subjective to just. I mean, the word, the name of the the definition of the word certainly changes. Just like any word. Changed. I mean, if if a million people start calling it one thing, then that's what it, that is what the word then becomes. Yeah, and you have to. It's hard. It's frustrating because you don't want to go back and redefine what was to keep it separate. I mean, you have that problems in political movement or part. You know, we have that problem right now in politics. Is mm -hmm. what is conservative? What is Democrat? Well, it means what exactly what it is right now. You could say yeah. what it used to mean, but it, this is the state of conservative politics. This is it. Yeah. This is what right. the right wing is, or what you know. So mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting to see those those things go. But do you mourn that, or like, are you fully embrace all time low and the new bands? Like when you have to keep working with stuff that's yeah. How do you take that? I don't know a good way to phrase that. Um, I'm not sure. We, like I, the the progression of music, I'm I love it. Like mm -hmm. I, all time low is amazing. Like, are they emo? I I don't yeah. think so personally. I, I I will say it tongue in cheek or whatever. Take it whatever for what it is. But musically, it's it's awesome. I I love I love music that continues to grow and move forward. Mm -hmm. I've oh like I never I never got tired of working with like I liked working with newer bands because they were doing new things and pushing the envelope or whatever. Yep. I didn't want to keep working, doing, making the same record. Yeah. So evolutionarily or whatever, like super down. Well, certainly nothing wrong with that band or, or anything like that. And I don't mean it that way, but what, what bands and what kind of music have people asked you and wanted you to do through the course of your career that you just didn't want to do? Like, would you, would you, would, would you do a record for good money that, that you didn't like the music or what was that? What were some of that types of music or, or, or decisions you had to make? Um, I mean, I've definitely turned down things that I didn't want to do. Just based on um, you didn't like the, the music. Yeah, I, I felt... Or could it, you, you know, have making, fun making, you know, getting paid good to, to do your skill on something that you didn't artistically enjoy? Just my personality doesn't work in, in situations like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not the kind of guy that... Um, I, I'm not great around people, like, mm -hmm. let's be honest. <laughs> and, like, I am not... Uh, I can't walk into a room and just be like, just have fun making a record if I don't like the music and yep. I don't like what I'm doing. And people will know it, that I'm not into it and I'm not, I don't like what they're doing and it's not a good environment mm -hmm. in a studio, you know? So I, I, early on I learned I have to really be into whatever mm -hmm. I'm doing because I can't bullshit it. I can't fake yep. it or whatever. So um, I made a conscious decision just to only do things I, there was a couple of records I, I took on where I wasn't into it and I learned that like it's bad that it, it, I, I have to actually love what I'm doing mm -hmm. well you know I'm, I'm uh, I wouldn't say surprised but interested to hear how much you are not uh, if you just looked at it on paper you might expect to encounter a jaded you know ex-producer here and I don't find you that way at all which is really nice like no. you, you're, you seem very. Uh, I don't. I don't even know what the word is for it. But but uh, I think that's that's interesting. That you know you identify things the way that you do, but you Not don't seem like yeah. Oh, yo, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, sorry yeah. about that. Not too bad. Just a couple of glitches so far. But the uh, I find it. Uh, Nice that you're not just a jaded person that's anti this and oh I quit doing it because the kids and then the music and then the money and, and and all that stuff. No, no, not not at all. I I like. I like new music. Good. I've always always liked new music, and and um, I would, it's like music that's being made. I've always get in this argument with people who are like, 
uh, you know, music today, it's not like it used to be. Right. And I'm like, bullshit. Like, music today is better than it ever, ever awesome. has been. The tools have made, like, like, I feel like the fact that, you know, people can make records in their bedrooms now, like, you know, as a producer, it's sort of put me out of business. But it means that we're making, like, better records than ever, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Like, because, like, it's more intimate. It's like the artists are making their records. Now mm -hmm. there's, there's less people involved, net, you know, a lot of times. And it's, it seems more direct and it's more, like, pure. I think so, too. And also we've hit that threshold where now that everything can be programmed and perfect, we are in this very, very exciting stage to me where we can push back into raw and it will actually be feel like progression forward like yeah. you, you hear more intimate all the living room shows and the acoustic intimate performances captured on one mic that actually is now fa looking at favorable and really showing talent again versus mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's like a way to Seems uh, fresh to show new. real talent in a way that that it, before the signal was well if you have more backing musicians and better production and more of this it shows your talent and to, it reached an extreme to where it was overdone or could be bought or paid for or be done by less talented people so now if we're back to you know trying to really demonstrate what people have to say it's a pretty nice thing so we've just saturated in a way the technology stuff but also there's a bunch of new technology coming that's probably going to empower a bunch of more people to come up with some whole new stuff so yeah. you're you're, uh, you're optimistic even about the future of music and technology I think one more glitch here sorry right. say that again <laughs> say that one oh, more time I, yeah. I, I, I am optimistic mm -hmm. optimistic about the future because um, I don't think it's up to this point, it's gotten worse. I think it's only gotten better. So why wouldn't it continue? That's great. You you are you that way uh, across the board? Are you that way with culture and society, uh, everything? Uh, no, less so much with 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 society, but I do recognize that that we as a people have always thought things are getting worse. It's mm -hmm. just it's just human nature to think mm -hmm. things are not as good as they were in the past. So I do feel like. You know, I relate to that certainly when I look around, but at the same time, I re recognize that it's just humans just being humans and things probably, no, things definitely aren't any worse than they used to be. They're just, we just think they are. Yeah, So that's really yeah. good. So last thing I want to ask you is when you think about your legacy, is that something you're interested in? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and would... Uh, would you prefer to be known for the work that you did? Would you? I put it this way: Would you trade um, the uh, ability to do anything you want for the rest of your life and succeed at it and be fulfilled by it? But in exchange, after you're gone, your name is is not remembered with those things that you have previously and in the future will do, achieve, create. Versus what, like versus um, just keep on struggling through life the way it is now and build. You know, your Wikipedia page says all the stuff you've done. Your donut shop was this was Mark Sharvino's donut shop. This is his whatever his legacy. You, uh -huh. I'm saying, for the rest of your life, you could have full success. You will everything you try to do, you'll be able to achieve. But uh -huh. when you die, your name, those things will still exist, but your name is erased from them. Um. I'm not sure I fully understand the question, but I, I, I <laughs> always do. try to ask it. I've never asked it exactly right yet, still. <laughs> but I, I'm interested. In, I, I feel like I would say 
I don't care what people say about me when I'm gone. I just care about while I'm here. I want to experience the things. I want to create stuff. I want to make stuff. I want to do stuff. And I want to, to do it well and have that go well. I want to have resources and you know, and be able to, to, to achieve what I want to achieve. I'd like to be more successful in, in this and that. But when I'm gone, I don't care if you take my name off of it. I would yeah, trade that. I, I, I agree with that. Like, I, I just want to be happy. They're both and, ego questions. Like, one uh-huh. is, I want to be known forever because I, even when I'm gone, I want people saying the name of Mark Trombino. Mm-hmm. And the other one is saying, I want what I want now for me. Those are they're really the only two choices. <laughs> yeah, the second one the, is the way I go. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Like, when I'm gone, it doesn't, doesn't matter to me. Right. I, 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 I don't care. So, yeah, I'd rather be happy now. And, and I want to feel like, you know, fulfilled and feel like I have a purpose yeah. doing what I'm doing. And that's, that's pretty much it. I like that answer. Most people don't go that way with it, but I, I, that's the way I tend to think. It sounds, yeah, I mean, if, my, if your name disappears off the internet when you're dead, so what? I'm dead. That's the way I look yeah. at it. I'm not here. Exactly. You know, of course, I want my wife and daughter to think I'm cool and remember me, but beyond that, I don't care. Really. Yeah. I'm, I just, sure I'm, enjoy, I'm trying to just enjoy <laughs> this life and do stuff and make stuff. Yeah, and if I make it and it's good for people in society, good. I still don't even care if I get the credit. The only reason I care about my name attached now is because it helps me to continue next time or get the next record or do the next show, right? Or whatever mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, anyway, I just was curious. I, I'm interested in what people think about their legacy, people that are, that are successful and doing stuff. That, you know, I think that's it's an interesting area, but I'm not particularly adept at asking getting getting there yet but i'm working on that question i'll get it okay. down i'll get it down i'm gonna keep asking people until i can phrase I, it in, i mean in i definitely a, in, i definitely worry about my legacy that that mm-hmm. is definitely something i do worry about like because i mean one of the reasons another reason why I, I i'm reluctant to make records anymore it's just like i do worry that i don't have that i don't i worry that i i don't have what i used to have as far as creative mm-hmm. input or whatever any of these things and like I don't want to make bad records, you yeah, know. Yeah, um, that's another good way to phrase it. Would be: Would you would you eliminate the idea of have you having a legacy just to make certain that you that you could avoid not having a bad leg a tarnished legacy would be worse than the the opportunity to have a good one. Like yeah, you, you don't care don't, if you have a huge legacy and people say your name forever, except for if it was in a tarnished way, then you would. Care. Yeah, right. That's yeah, an interesting I guess that, caveat too. <laughs> which which is it's equally. Silly to worry about both. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess that's right. I guess I'm, I didn't think about it till that until you just said that. But yeah, I definitely don't want a bad legacy of some asshole or loser <laughs> or th- guy who thought he was something or did some harm. That would uh-huh. be that'd be worse for sure. Yeah, I'd rather but have it none. shouldn't be right. Like it shouldn't be any worse. Yeah, if, for the same reason I say I don't care if it's good. Yeah, maybe that's a, that's a, maybe that's not as true as I thought it was. If I would care if it was bad for the same reason. Uh-huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Well, Mark, I really appreciate talking to you today. Thank you for, yeah. for, for giving your time. I think people are going to very much enjoy this interview. Cool. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you. And uh, next time I'm down there in L.A., which is pretty often, um, I'm very excited to try the donuts. You have to come by. For have sure. you heard? There's a new one. In, I don't know if you pay attention to the donut scene, but there's a new one in Seattle that I've been going to um, called General Porpoise. Have you heard of that one? I haven't heard of it. It's real fancy. It's really interesting. And it's, uh, I don't know how to describe it. I I wonder if you'd have thoughts on it. But they're all only, they make a few of, they only have like four kinds at a time. And it's all a cream filled, like a lemon curd or a vanilla this, something really fancy, expensive. um, And they're a little bit less sweet. It's like dark chocolate. It's like really 
kind of fancy stuff. It's by a guy who owns a bunch of fancy restaurants here in Seattle. And okay. it's really good. It's like a new thing. I'm just curious if you had heard of it. It sounds like there's a place in like the Bay Area called Donut Dolly, and they it's all filled donuts. They fill mm-hmm. it to order or whatever. Yeah. Um, Top Pot is sort of the inspiration for donut. I love in, Top in some Pot. Ways. Yeah, Top favorite. Pot is like classic, really good classic donuts. And like I actually started all my recipes kind of started with from the Top Pot cookbook. They have uh, a cookbook like they yeah. just not secret. Yeah, no, do? it's not, it's like you know, it's like I bought it or whatever. Yeah. It's like I I bought it and I because I when I had the idea for Donut Friend, I went up the coast and I went to all the places I could go, you know, that I knew of. Mm-hmm. Top Pot was definitely on my list, and um, I really liked their stuff. Bought their cookbook and went home and started making donuts um, based on their recipes. Um, so I love I love Top Pot. Yeah, me too. That's, that's to, where the one that get that fluffy cinnamon sugar ring that I like so much is from there. Yeah. I'm yeah. not eating any sugars and carbs right now, though. And so <laughs> I took my one cheat day, the, the one I've had in the last whole month, and said, so let's go to the, I'm getting a donut today. So I, yeah. I definitely love them. Can't wait to try yours. And I'll, I'll see you next time, next time we're down there. Awesome. All Good. right. I appreciate your time very much, Mark. All right. See you. All right. See you later. Hey, hang on one second. Reba, could you get a picture? I'm going to, do you mind if I take your picture on the screen? I'll use this for the episode. Sure. I'm going to stand right over here and we'll get a, a picture of this. Just, will you just get it from right here? Like, like as if I had my arm around it or something. <laughs> that work? Yeah, it's still dark. That's all right. Good enough. All right. I appreciate it very much. Awesome. All right. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. Yeah. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.